होना सो सो नाउ दैट आई बिकम नॉट ओनली अ ड्रामा टीचर बट अ डीजे आई एक्सप्लेन व्हाई आई चोज द म्यूजिक फ्रॉम यस्टरडे एंड फॉर टुडे वेरी ब्रीफली दे नॉट अ बिग डील बट आई एम नॉट जस्ट चूजिंग देम बिकॉज़ आई लाइक देम just the opening lines the the lyrics of the one from yesterday from the who see me feel me touch me heal me i find it very moving the music itself really really stirs me and so but then there's lots of music so why choose that one yesterday and it was related to the earlier fairly elaborate discussion of this whole reductionism of our very existence to brains to are being animals or being robots to having no free will and so forth um and you have a revolution against that really a revolution which is absolutely fed up will not tolerate it unacceptable this is dehumanizing demoralizing and disempowering and i will not take it anymore and so coming back to our own experience and not dujum rimbuje says don't give your nose rope to other people you know so when we're told and it's all over the media otherwise why I, why would i bother to even talk about such rubbish you know if it was just some kind of like new age whatever rubbish but it's everywhere in the media and so don't give your nose rope don't fall under the domination of people i invite you don't fall under the domination of such people who want to reduce you to a robot to mechanisms to utterly how do you say distrusting your own experience on the ground that it's misleading it's illusory don't trust don't trust your own experience trust us we'll tell you you're really a robot etc etc now see me feel me touch me heal me as you go into your own experience allow your mind to heal itself don't fall into the traps of thinking oh no you're only an animal or you're driven by biological desires that's all there is to you you're fundamentally neurotic there's no hope to get out of neurosis just to manage the symptoms Don't go that. You don't have to. If the evidence were compelling that we'd have to, but it's not, we can choose. So that was the reason why citing the who. And then if you're looking for passion, I don't think my little candle holds a flame to Tina Turner's passion. She's really she she maxes out in passion. I love her. And so in this one I just it's from Mad Max, you might know. Soundtrack from Mad Max. Quite a grim movie really. but the desolation they show in that movie which i've watched a couple of times actually really reminds me of the kind of the spiritual desolation that we're seeing in the world today which is so dominated by materialism and where contemplative traditions in general have have really degenerated so much it kind of looks to, to me like that barren desert that we see in mad max and the degeneration of ethics of genocide and terrorism and so forth and exploitation and corruption and so forth it's really quite bleak in many respects And so here's T- Tina Turner belting out these words. So what do we do with our lives? We leave only a mark. Will our story shine like a life or end in the dark? Is it all or nothing? We don't need another hero. That belting out that phrase, we don't need another hero. Um I find that also very moving. And it resonates very much with Zokchen. We don't need another hero. We don't need to look outside again for a Buddha. Sometimes and like for not infrequently over the last several decades I've been waiting. Padmasambhava, we need you calling Padmasambhava. Calling Padmasambhava. I know you know we have the reports of what you did in Tibet. You really may I say kicked ass. I mean you really he really moved the furniture around. He really displayed his miracles and he really caught people's attention he awed them and astonished them and intimidated them and so forth but he really showed his stuff you know so gosh we've had all these great lamas during my lifetime these great lamas these formidable adepts mahasiddhas and so forth coming out of tibet who are you know trained in tibet and so forth said so, you know show us your stuff i mean you know you have all these stories of milarepa and lerap lingba and and if you read Tuka Urgen Rinpoche's autobiography i mean all these miracles they showed and and dujum dujum ling by his miracles and the and the list goes on and on and so i mean it's great to read about these from classical tibet and from classical india but you know like show us your stuff padmasambhava you know now is the time 
You know, we're dominated by materialism here, by superstition and so forth. And so kind of waiting, like, when's he going to come? When's he going to come? And then the essence of his message is, don't look outside for the Buddha. If Padmasambhava showed up in New York City like that, you know, I mean the real Padmasambhava, you know, with the, rope, the, with the robes and the trident and the three skulls, number one, I think he'd probably get, that's probably not legal, is it? To walk around with a trident with three human skulls on it? I think he'd, prob- they, he'd probably have to have a license to do that. And he definitely doesn't have one. But on top of that, if he flew around New York City, I mean, that would be, you know, I mean, you know, he did it in Tibet. They say if, if Padmasambhava flew around New York City above the skyscrapers in those robes, is it a bird? Is it a plane? It's super lama. But, you know, they would be, you know, they would be bringing in the jet fighters afraid that he'd be carrying a bomb. That he's a terrorist. He's carrying a bomb and he's going to blow up something. So he'd probably get shot down. Or if he landed, then they would probably put him in prisons for flying without a license. You know, you, you have to have a license to fly. He de- definitely get a license. You know, there'd be so many problems. But then if they finally released him, then people would start worshipping him. And then somebody would want to kill him. And then we'd want to worship him again. That's what we do in the West. Kind of worship, kill, worship, kill. You know, that's what we do. That's our, that's our program that we've been doing for centuries. So I've been waiting for 40 years. And I haven't seen the lamas really publicly displaying, you know, flying in the sky, walking through walls, and all of these kind of cool things that would be so much fun to watch. And maybe that's not what we need. As I said, for Padmasambhava, for all the enlightened ones, in terms of their own minds, they're absolutely free, but in terms of their displays in the, our world, they're totally helpless. They have, to, they have to respond. They have to help us when we call on, on their help. Right? That's their job. Otherwise, what's the point of being a Buddha? Just achieve nirvana and disappear. You know? But if you're a Buddha, then you continue to manifest. So how is Padmasambhava manifesting now? I think primarily now, so that's a question, a good question, right? I mean, we really need individuals like Padmasambhava with that tremendous power, that tremendous compassion and wisdom. And so that's a good question. And here's my speculation, that Padmasambhava is manifesting primarily nowadays by way of his speech. By Dujum Rinpoche himself, by his Honit Dalai Lama, by Kamapa, by Sakyatizan Rinpoche, by so many great lamas. Manifesting speech. Padmasambhava is coming this time in speech. Not so much in body, but in speech. The Lakeborn Vajra, the teacher of all of these, these revealed teachings of Dujum Lingma, Lakeborn Vajra is said to be speech emanation, embodiment of the speech of Padmasambhava. Right. And the Buddha said that was his greatest offering. The Buddha himself, according to all the accounts, himself displayed great cities, extraordinary cities, mind-boggling cities. But he said, my greatest gift is the speech. It's the Dharma that I teach you because that's what liberates you, not watching really cool cities. That's really a lot of fun. I'd love to see some. I've seen, I have seen some, and they're very interesting. But that which transforms and liberates is the speech, the teachings, the Dharma. One who sees the Dharma sees the Buddha. So rather than waiting for another hero, maybe in fact, if we needed a hero, he or she would have already arrived hero to you know, fully display all the wonders, all the cities, all the miracles and so forth. If we really needed it, why wouldn't they show? I think they would have shown. Right? Maybe that's not what we needed. We Eurocentric people who are so power hungry, the major funding for meditation research is coming you know, from military. Yeah, I just read a report. They're, oh, they're throwing money at it because they want their troops you know, to really be mindful, really grounded, really be all that you can be. You know? That's where the money is. The money for parapsychological research, Russell Targ and so forth. Where did that come from? Defense Department, CIA. Defense Department, CIA. They would really like more power. Government. It's not just U.S. government, Russian government, German government, I'm sure. I'm sure. Governments like power. Big business likes power. People like power. Eurocentric people like power. And so, maybe that's not what we need. Maybe we need the speech. 
the Dharma that liberates, that transforms. So rather than looking for another hero, somebody who's going to awe us, inspire us, and then we can adulate and worship and then see how different they are from ourselves. You know? Boy, that one's enlightened, not like me. It's fine. That's fine, but then you're not practicing Dzogchen. And Padmasambhava's primary teaching was Dzogchen, which means you don't look outside, right? So I want to quote just one more quote here. And that is... The motivation, the only, the only suitable motivation for Dzogchen, for Vajrayana in general, the only suitable motivation, of course, is bodhicitta. If it's anything less than that, then it's a misfit. It's a, it doesn't connect. Right? It has to be. And the bodhicitta must be, by definition, must be rooted in not just compassion and not just immeasurable compassion, as in the Brahma-viharas, or immeasurable compassion, not just that, Immeasurable compassion is an aspiration. It's a beautific aspiration. That may we all, all sentient beings, without exception, without partiality, may we all be free of suffering and the cause of suffering. And if that's a heartfelt aspiration, well then, welcome. You have now, you're experiencing immeasurable compassion with no barriers, no preferences. You know, among this type of people, that type of people, this type of sentient being, that type of sentient being. That's wonderful. That's sublime. It's a divine abiding. To dwell in that, and then you die, you'll be born in one of the Brahma realms, in the form realm. That would be quite nice. Temporary, but quite nice. You know? But that's not enough for Vajrayana, for Dzogchen. It has to be Mahakaruna, great compassion. And great compassion is more than an aspiration. It's much more. One could say it's almost infinitely more. Because great compassion is, I'll say this in passing, crazy. It's just crazy from one perspective, right? Because it entails an intention, a vow, a resolve, a promise. You want to hear the crazy resolve of great compassion? I, without relying upon others, I shall liberate all sentient beings from suffering and the causes of suffering. Did you hear that? I. It's really, it, it doesn't mean I. That's not English. That's, that's the Sanskrit, the Tibetan. That's what it really says. I shall. It's looking with the Buddhas as your witness and sentient beings as your audience, saying, I shall. I shall liberate all sentient beings from suffering and the causes of suffering. I will not look for another hero, but I take that on myself. Now how is that completely crazy if you're saying that while identifying yourself as a sentient being, as an, like, an, like a human being? Alan Wallace, American, of course, American number one. You know, I sh- oh, then you're completely crazy off to the mental asylum with you. You're, you're suffering from severe megalomania. You've got a major problem here. Well, you, you may not be dangerous, but you're definitely nuts. So, you know, off with you. Here's your padded cell. Hope you don't hurt yourself. You know? It's nuts. But if you drop the anchor of your sense of identity down to your substrate consciousness, then you're just simply unrealistic. If that's the referent of I, that this little worm that's crawling through time, your timeline, your st- continuum of consciousness, that one little stream, that one little stream in this vast cosmos with a hundred billion galaxies in it, and you're calling out to the hundred billion gal- galaxies, each one with a hundred billion or a trillion stars and planets, and saying, I will liberate you all. <laughs> and these people on, you know, galaxy over there, five billion light years away, are saying, oh gosh, how long going it take me to get here? Like, like not quite forever, but geez, do we really have to wait that long? He's just wiggling around, you know, <laughs> this one little worm through time and space. Like, oh, yo, yo, when's our turn? Get in line, buddy. You got a hundred billion galaxies in front of you. Oh, yo, yo, that's not realistic. I mean, it's sweet, but it's not realistic, right? Right. 
So there's really only one perspective in which great compassion is not either completely crazy or simply profoundly and ridiculously unrealistic. There's only one perspective from which it makes any sense at all. But it not only makes sense, it makes sublime sense. And it's also the only motivation that's suitable. And that, of course, is when you drop your anchor right down to the ground, the ground awareness, pristine awareness, primordial consciousness, from that perspective, if that's who you are, if that's who's speaking, I, Dharmakaya, have nothing else to do for all of time and throughout space other than to free all sentient beings from suffering and its causes. Well, then the answer to that would be, if anybody can do it, you can. And who else? Who else? Who else but a Buddha? Who else but a Buddha could possibly do that? Nobody else would be up to the job. And so if that's where you're dropping your anchor, then go for it. You've now found the appropriate motivation in terms of skillful means to slip seamlessly into your Dzogchen meditation. In fact, it said that great compassion, Mahakruna, arouses this Buddha nature. It's like if you say that, I'm going to speak a little bit humorously here, maybe not much, but if you're, you're sitting there in your quiet meditation and you're arousing, I shall, feeling this tremendous, heartfelt, unbearable compassion for all such beings. If you arouse that motivation, I shall liberate all sentient beings from suffering at its causes. It would be as if your rikpa, your pristine awareness saying, you talking to me? You talking to me? Right? Because if you're talking to anybody else, you're talking crazy. But if you're talking to your own Buddha nature, and you're saying, I, this seeing your own face, I, I, then okay. Then it kind of arouses, arouses that deepest dimension into activity. Not simply resting in its own transcendence beyond space and beyond time, but arouses it into action. Right? So that's why great compassion. And I'll end unexpectedly, perhaps. With this vision, when I said, don't give your nose rope to the reductionist and so forth, also I invite you, don't give your, give your nose rope to those nowadays would say, we're living in such degenerate times. It's not possible to gain realization when Geshe Zubha just spent seven days in the clear light of death as a hidden yogi that nobody even knew he was a yogi, at least not among his ordinary disciples. Who are we to say now, when the lamas themselves are explaining this, there's another Geshe, Geshe Chuden, same thing. He just passed away days ago, abiding in the clear light of death. And these are two superb monks, right? But then what about lay people? Probably impossible for us, right? And then if you're a real good male chauvinist, then you'd say, well, of course, the women definitely. You know, they're just too emotional. They probably can't. Especially lay women, right? I mean, that is a kind of a double loser. They got the gender wrong. They got, they're not even monastics. So if anybody's probably really hopeless, it can be the lay women, right? Did I get that wrong? <laughs> well, then you can check also, it was only a few days ago, that the consort of his only Jujum Rinpoche, she passed away. She was a layperson. She had children. She was a mother, a wife. She passed away, also abiding in clear light of death. We had three great lamas, two monks and one lay woman who had had children, all abiding in clear light of death. So now we have no excuse, right? Whether you're Kalupa, you're Nyingma, whatever you are, to say, oh, no, 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 they're too degenerate. I'm sorry, they just showed you three times wrong in one week. You're wrong. Your evidence is not compelling. The, ev- the contrary evidence is very compelling. Lay woman with children, no problem. Excellent monk, no problem. Maybe even Californian, I'm not quite so sure. Because, you know, I kind of talked about Australians and so forth. You know how Californians talk. Say, hey, surf up, dude, pass the joint. That's how Californians talk. I know, I'm from California. That's what we say. Surf up, dude, pass the joint. You know? That's Californian. But then, if these other people can, maybe even Californians can gain realization. Right? Maybe the Dharma is not dead yet. 
Maybe it's not dead on arrival. Maybe it's not so degenerate that none of us here, none of us living by podcast, listening by podcast, can achieve. So is it possible? Is it possible that in some respects the best is yet to come? There have been only a few Pochenjalu, great transference rainbow bodies in the past. Might there be a lot more in the future? Is it possible? There was a prophecy that Dujum Lingba received that 13 of his disciples would achieve enlightenment, perfect enlightenment, rainbow body. It was true, that turned out to be the case. That prophecy came true. 13 of his disciples achieved rainbow body. But there's another prophecy I just read recently saying that in the future, overall, 100 of his disciples would achieve rainbow body. That means there's 87 to go. And then these prophecies that his teachings would be for flourishing in the cities of the West, that they were for the future. So, is that true or not? Or is that just kind of like showbiz, you know, PR, to pump up this tradition, you know, kind of give us good, good advertising, good marketing? Maybe that's what it is. It's just marketing for the Jujum lineage as opposed to other lineages, you know, us first, we've got a better product. And let's tell people if they take it, you know, 87, 87 will achieve, maybe you, like a lottery. Maybe like a lottery. So are these prophecies, and the one especially about the future, about our time, are they true or not? Or is it really kind of like, yeah, it's too degenerate, you know, it's too hopeless? So we've got options there. We have freedom of choice. We can say, well, let's just sit back and let's watch. Let's see how it turns out. Let's see how those really serious yogis, like in Tibet and Bhutan and so forth, and elsewhere, See how it turns out. See anybody? Any? Any? Let's just watch. Yeah? Like, like watching a football match. Let's sit up in the bleachers. Let's watch. Yeah? We, we can do that to see are those prophecies true or not. Is Dharma dead or not? Well, gosh, let's watch and see. Maybe it's dead. That'd be a shame. Maybe it's not. That'd be cool. Let's watch. Like watching, you know, like a football match or a baseball game. Or we can get off the bleachers and get on the playing field and we can bet our lives That is true. That's the choice we can make. There's nothing to prevent us making that choice, right? Not to be observers, be participants, not to simply feel sorry and compassionate for other people, but to develop great compassion, right? Taking that crazy resolve. That's our choice. We don't have to do it, but we may. So, with great compassion, we may say, if not me, who? If not, if not you, who? Somebody else? You're going to watch somebody else do it while you sit, sit and clap? Or something? You know. So, is it possible that in this degenerate time, this might be the best time for Dzogchen? The best time. The most powerful time. most transformative time. The time in which Dzogchen is most needed, in which Padmasambhava is coming in from all sides. Everywhere. Every teacher who's passing on the teachings of Padmasambhava. Padmasambhava is manifesting through speech, 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 going through sound waves, through podcasts, through audio recordings, through books and books, so many books now. Padmasambhava coming through. His speech is there everywhere, right? If Padmasambhava is his speech, then Padmasambhava is manifesting everywhere. And really clearly, there's a lot of good translations out there now. And a lot of fine teachers. They're good enough anyway, and some are absolutely superb. And so... There's a vision. Maybe this really is a time when people could achieve the highest states of realization. Maybe it's not too late. So there's a vision. And I said, Padmasambhava, not Padmasambhava, the other one, William James. <laughs> In a book that he wrote called A Pluralistic Universe, which is wonderfully refreshing because he doesn't fall into that black hole of what he called monistic materialism, that everything just boils down to matter and its emergent properties. He completely disdains that. But also he had no use for dualism. Cartesian reified dualism, that okay, there's two types of real substances in the universe. You know, the mental stuff and the physical stuff, which Descartes came out with, which had been a total dead end. When it came out of his mouth, it was a dead end. That's why he had to invent this fairyland story of the pineal gland being the, you know, the, the receiver transmitter of non-material. I mean, it was crazy from the beginning. And now it's widely recognized as being quite foolish. And William James recognized, you know, it's not monistic monism, and it's not dualism either. It's a pluralistic universe, 
open your mind, there are so many causal influences in the universe. It's not just matter and it's not just mind. There are causal influences of all kinds. Many of them you can't even imagine. So in this book that was published posthumously, he states this. It's very short, and then we'll get to the meditation. And that is, in what, matter, in what manner do we espouse and hold fast to visions? Vision is a view. It's English for view. How do we espouse and hold fast to visions? Which is also aspirations, also resolves. By thinking a conception might be true somewhere. So, might there be people, be people achieving nowadays rainbow body in Tibet? There are reports quite recently. The answer is yes. Somewhere, not here, but in Tibet. So, might that be true? And might it not just be gossip and make-believe and mumbo-jumbo and superstition and you know, blah, blah, blah? Might it actually be true that in the last 10 years or so somebody has achieved rainbow body in Tibet? So, by thinking conception might be true somewhere, at least Tibet, it may be true even here and now, that is, maybe even people, wherever you are, listening by podcast or here in Phuket, it might even be true here and now that people like, just like us could achieve rainbow body in this very lifetime. It might be true. It may be true even here and now. It is fit to be true. This is more than interesting. It's fit to be true because, after all, we have Buddha nature. Our Buddha nature is no, no less than the Dalai Lama's Buddha nature or Padmasambhava's Buddha nature, or Tibetan's Buddha nature. No less. We don't have a shoddier version, you know, Western, crummy version, you know, the leftovers when the Asians got all the good ones. You know, not like that. It's fit to be true because we have Buddha nature from our side and there are still qualified teachers outside. That's all you need, really. You need a Buddha nature. Without that, you're stuck because you don't have the primary cause. And you need qualified teachers, spiritual mentors, gurus. They're the cooperative condition. But just like a seed and mulch and all of that, then you bring the seed, the primary cause, and the mulch, the sunlight, the water, the, all of that, and then, then you get a crop. There's no magic to it. So you bring the primary cause, and if you encounter qualified teachers, that's a cooperative kitchen, bringing them together, then it is fit to be true. Could be true. And then he said, it is fit to be true, and it ought to be true. Doggone it. There's so much suffering in the world. It really ought to be true that people can still achieve the highest states of realization here and now in this world. It ought to be true. If it's not, it's a pathetic. Right? So he said, it is fit to be true, and it ought to be true. It must be true. Right? It shall be true for me. That's William James. It shall be true for me. And then you get to your, get your practice. I like that. Thank you, Padmasambhava. Sometimes you even speak through the mouth of a psychologist. Very good. Now let's go to the practice. You may find any posture you... Oh, the, the beginning? Yeah, we'll do this. I'm going to go seamlessly into the meditation, and this time I will be transmitting Padmasambhava's own pointing out instructions on Rigpa. That's we'll go for this morning session. They are pointing out instruction. It's not just a, a, an academic discussion or a theoretical explanation. It's pointing out instruction. Um, you'll not be able to receive pointing out instructions from the mind of Alan Wallace to your mind because there's no transmitter there. So if I gave a piece of my mind to you, uh, if I gave you a piece of my mind, you'd send it back. Return to sender, <laughs> preferably unopened. So no, I have no pointing out instructions to give. Padmasambhava does. So if you'd like to receive these teachings from Padmasambhava's mind, a mind-to-mind, mind-to-mind transmission, that's your choice. That's your possibility, right? So that's it. So I will try to really get out of. I'm just going to read it. So then you'll just know it's Padmasambhava's, his words coming from his mind, because that's the origin of these teachings, his mind to your mind, and it doesn't have to travel through 1,200 years of time. Padmasambhava's mind is present, speech is present. Padmasambhava's mind, your mind. You can receive mind-to-mind transmission from Padmasambhava. 
if that's what you wish, if that's what you choose, if that's your view. So, we go to the practice. Guru Pema Sidi Hong Hong Oge Yuki Nupcham Sang Pema Gesa Dombola Yamsen Choki Mudubne Pema June Shesuta Kodu Kando Mambuko Keki Jesu Datuki Jinge lapshi shaksus guru pema siddhi hum hum oge yuke nupcham sam pema gesa dombola yamsen choki mudubne pema june shesuta Kodu kando mambu ko keki jesu datupki jinge lapchi shaksu su guru pema siddhi hum umma
If you'd like to switch postures, please do so now. Settle your body, speech, and mind in a natural state. At that time, the guru should provide the following instruction. Oh, now steadily observe this consciousness at the time of placing the mind steadfastly and without modification. Once you have calmed the compulsive thoughts in your mind, right where they are, and the mind is unmodified, isn't there a motionless stillness or stability? This is called shamatha.
but it is not the nature of the mind. Now steadily observe the very nature of your own mind that is being still. Is there a resplendent emptiness that is nothing, that is ungrounded in the nature of any substance, shape, or color? That is called the empty essence. Isn't there a luster of that emptiness that is unceasing, clear, immaculate, soothing, and luminous, as it were? That is called the luminous nature. Its essential nature is the indivisibility of sheer emptiness, not established as anything, and its unceasing 
vivid luster in which awareness is resplendent and brilliant, as it were. This present unmoving consciousness, which cannot be directly expressed in words, is given the name awareness. Pristine awareness. That which thinks is this alone, so it is given the name mind. It is this that is mindful of all kinds of things. So it is given the name mindfulness. While it is not seen, it is a special seeing that is clear, steady, unmediated, and steadfast. So it is given the name Vipassana.
It is that which makes distinctions among all specific phenomena, like separating the layers of a mushroom. So it is given the name discerning wisdom. All terms such as Sugata Garbha, the soul bindu, absolute space, primordial consciousness, the middle way, ultimate truth, Mahamudra, Ati Yoga, and emptiness are names of this alone. This steadfast awareness exists, so it is that which sees form with the eyes, experiences sounds with the ears, smells with the nose, tastes with the tongue, and so on. All experiences, all experiencers of such things are just this clear, conscious awareness of the present. However, since we have this, and it variously appears as dislike, attachment, hatred, and so on, and because it knows, remembers, and is aware, we are given the name sentient being. Although there is constant, direct, mindful awareness, it does not recognize itself. And that is given the name inborn ignorance or unawareness. And how is it unaware? Although the eye sees everything out there, it does not reflectively see itself. Likewise, the mind does not see, does not know, and does not cognize. So this is called unawareness or ignorance. Consciousness that appears to itself is called pristine awareness and primordial consciousness. In short, it is just this clear, steady consciousness that is ordinarily, naturally present right now. Continue in silence.
Lasso. So the interviews this morning will just be five minutes late.